morning. I, that was kind of weak. Good morning. Uh, yeah, that was strong. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like. Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter, yeah. Well, uh, my name is Amos. I am one of the staff pastors here at the church, and I just stand uh, to give you all a welcome and a couple of announcements, and then I will be out of your way. Uh, so uh, we want to welcome uh, you all to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus to enjoy Jesus and to glorify Jesus in all things. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus's love. We are excited to announce a new way of connecting with members and guests. We are now using Linktree. This allows us to connect all online information about our church. The giving of tithes and offerings along with our social media platforms all in one place when you scan the qr code with your phone's camera you get a short link when clicked it navigates to a web page with a list of every link that you would need concerning our church and the qr code that it's referring to is in your worship guide so see it there if you are a guest today again welcome we ask that you scan uh, the qr code and click on the link provided for at tvc hsv then click on the menu item for the first time guest and we do uh, want to remind everyone that um, our nursery is open today so if you have children five and under that's our way of serving you and your children our covenant children and at the village church we believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship so you may give to the to the vision and mission of the village church by scanning the QR code and using the menu item entitled TVC Giving. This will direct you to the link on our webpage, or you may send a check to our physical address, which is 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, Alabama, 35811. Or after the gathering, you can drop your offering off in the designated area at the back of the sanctuary. Today, there are no classes for first steps, village kids, and youth, but they, re- they will resume on next Sunday. So please see the back of your worship guide for the spring schedule for first steps, village kids, and youth. Now, our Enter the Village class, uh, which is taught by elders and church leaders, is a class taught periodically throughout the year where you learn more about the village church. There is a sign-up sheet located on the information center desk by the front doors where you can indicate your interest in taking this class. Tuesday, April 19th, a women's inductive Bible study at 6 p.m. in the church house will be held, followed by fellowship time at 7 p.m. So, my brothers and sisters, those are your announcements. Please, as always, govern yourselves accordingly. Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go. 
go into the house of the Lord. All right, we invite you to sing this song of praise with us this morning. If you would, please stand in honor, if you are able, in honor and reverence to the Most High God, who is holy and mighty and worthy of all of our praise.
Our call to worship this morning is uh, taken from the song, To God Be the Glory. Please join with me where it says, um, congregation. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. Amen. Amen.
loud enough. No sin. Listen, no sin strong enough. No weapon against us can contain your love. It's alive in us, Jehovah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. It has become part of our tradition here at the Village Church uh, leading up to Resurrection Sunday to have a resurrection story. And so I'd like to welcome this morning Jamie Moon to share his resurrection story. My name's Jamie. Uh, I joined the village about a little over two years ago, and uh, I guess this is my story. I'm not a great storyteller, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so uh, I was born in Memphis, uh, grew up there with a strong Christian family. Uh, my parents, my grandparents were all Christians, uh, but the church we went to was kind of an environment that put a lot of pressure on people. There were a lot of unspoken rules. Um, There was just a lot of pressure to obey God, follow the rules, and then you won't go to hell. So I was baptized at a really young age. I was seven or eight. Um, But then when I was in middle school, I would kind of look back and think, was I actually saved or did I just do that because that's what all the other kids did? Um, So um, there wasn't like a clear turning point where I turned my life around. Um, But we started going to a Christian school, my brother and I, and through that, I learned a lot about um, about God, like in a weird way, almost more so than I did at my church. Um, But that's a place where we started to be exposed to the idea that it's not just on us for salvation, um, but uh, so it's not just our actions, but it's God seeking us out. And it's God pursuing our hearts and trying to teach us to conform us to his image. Um, so that really, uh, that was really uh, helpful for us. Um, so in high school, I developed a scientific mind. I'm an engineer, if you can't tell. <laughs> but um, so the combination of my scientific mind and what I learned, I just... I had to have an answer for everything. I I wanted a rational explanation for everything. I needed proof for everything that I believed. And kind of combining that with the, um, I guess, the theology that we learned in high school, it kind of set me up to try to fit God into a box. I tried to analyze him, tried to systematically understand him, um, and tried to fit him uh, into my understanding, into my mind. So I left Memphis, went to a big college in Alabama, and I was just chomping at the bit, ready to go do something new. I wanted to get out there and do something. Um, But during that time, my faith kind of stagnated. I didn't seek out uh, Christian friends. I spent a lot of time with nonbelievers. I didn't walk away from the faith, but I know that my growth was stunted during that time. I kind of bounced between a couple churches in Tuscaloosa, and I would just sit in the back and kind of cherry-pick my experience. And it wasn't until grad school that I actually joined a community group, and then I realized, oh, this is what it's supposed to be, completely different. Um, So God showed me that you can't just 
be in a community, you have to be a part of it and make yourself vulnerable. And that was the first time I had done that. So he taught me the value of vulnerability, of seeking accountability. I moved to Huntsville. I've been here about three and a half years and went to another church where I joined a men's group, which again was one of the first times I had been a part of a group um, where we could have discussions and hold each other accountable. Um, And that was really good. So I can't think of a single point where I was born again and turned my life around. It's just been a very, very gradual process. Every, almost every year, I can look back and think of a new lesson, a new principle that God taught me through experiences, through events, but more often than not, through people. God has used friends, family members, and acquaintances every year or so to teach me some new lesson. So he's using these people as a way to communicate to me. Um, So over the years, people have taught me about God's forgiveness, his mercy and grace. I've had friends confront me on my personality flaws, helped me overcome debilitating shyness and judgment. And then just people have inspired me to seek courage and truth and strength and hope and many other things. I even have a list. Um, So that's kind of the gradual story for me. But in late 2019 and into 2020, I went through a pretty confusing and painful time. Um, I came out of a pretty unhealthy relationship, and I left the church I was at because, long story short, there was just a lot of things that were on people's hearts and minds that were either completely dismissed or just uh, not acknowledged. Um, So I kind of watched as my community crumbled under disease under COVID, under division and and disunity. Um, But instead of, oh, and this kind of led me into a season of jealousy and apathy. So it kind of started as jealousy and formed into apathy. And I wasn't sure what to do. But God met me in those places. And he, in, in my experience, what he would typically do is, I'm kind of an outdoorsy person. I'd go on trips, and he would speak to me in the wilderness. He'd show me, if I can take meticulous care of these animals and and this nature, I'm going to take care of you even more because you're my child. And that inspired me. And then he met me in my jealousy and showed me that I'm envious of other people's parts that they play. But he showed me that he is the conductor of the orchestra. And he, so I am meant to play my part and my part only and not be envious of other people's. And what he taught me was that he's the conductor and he won't fail to tell me when I'm supposed to act. He won't tell me, he will always tell me when I should come in and play my part. And um, the other analogy, he's the captain of the ship. He knows how to navigate. So if I were to trust anybody, I should trust God to be the conductor, and to be the captain. So I'm really grateful for that. So coming out of high school, I kind of had this picture of God as being just this impersonal authoritarian clockmaker that sets things into motion, and we're supposed to uh, obey him, and he just demands respect. Um, But over the years, piece by piece, through all these experiences, he's shown me that we can't comprehend him. And it's not black and white. It's more complex. 
and he will um, he taught me how to embrace his mystery and to be comfortable in the gray spaces not be okay with not having all the answers and fitting in, in him into a box so he's revealed himself to be complex personable and relatable and it was Easter about two years ago that I, I really started to realize how relatable Jesus is he became a man he suffered but the suffering that he endured wasn't just bodily I mean he was tortured and killed but he was abandoned he was he was alone his friends left him his own father rejected him and he was tired he was hungry he was alone but he went through that so when we are tired when we're lonely and, and isolated we should remember that he's felt it. He's been there. He's been through it. And not only has he felt it, and he knows how to counsel us through that, but he conquered it. He conquered death. He conquered isolation. And um, we should think of him and um, remember that he knows how to navigate these waters better than it, better than we ever could. So thank you. He is risen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Please join me in our prayer of thanksgiving. Father, as we come before you this morning, on Easter morning, uh, I'm I'm struggling as I am am tired. My mind is in in feels like a million different places. But, Lord, we want to corporately come before you right now on Easter morning, remembering the love that you have, that you have always had for us, that you expressed so specifically uh, during your life here on earth, your 30-plus years, uh, which culminated in your sacrifice, your suffering, your death for us. Lord, we cannot begin, I do not, I believe we cannot begin as human beings to understand what you experienced in, in, uh, in the garden. Scripture says that you sweat drops like blood. Uh, And there have been many people who've tried to understand that, who've tried to speculate what that meant, uh, what it was like, how the human body can, the blood vessels can break in the skull, uh, in the scalp rather, and mix with blood and then leave the body. And that just, that boggles my mind. What were you thinking? What anguish were you under that the body that you created and then inhabited would respond the way it did based on what you were thinking and feeling and experiencing in that human body because of us, because of me, because of uh, our brothers and sisters who you have gathered and called your own who you determined from the beginning of time to be yours throughout all eternity. You created human bodies, you inhabited a human body, and then you allowed your human body that you you were living in to be broken and to be killed for our sake. 
Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the capacity to confess our sins. We thank you, Lord, for healthy churches and and believing communities where we can gather uh, to safely uh, share our struggles, our joys, uh, to grow, to be, to be yours, and to be in fellowship, to, to do life with one another. Lord, continue to shape our hearts to be more like like yourself, to be more like Christ. What you intended and you are ensuring occurs throughout human history that we be shaped in your image to more express you, to reflect you, to be your image bearers here on earth and to live in, in your presence throughout all eternity. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to work with you, to engage others who do not yet believe in you, to share as, as awkwardly and as, as feebly as we do the gospel, and then to watch you change lives before our very eyes as you have changed our lives. Lord, continue to perform these miracles on a daily basis, the miracle of birth, of physical birth, and the miracle of eternal life. When you grip the hearts and minds of your image bearers and draw them to Christ. Lord, we thank you for this resurrection morning. We thank you for the believers who who have been gathering and continue to gather all over the planet to, to celebrate you in our various theological expressions, whether uh, the, the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, the Eastern Church, the Western Church, uh, within a denominational setting, across non-denominationals. Lord, we disagree with each other, and, and of all things, of how one can express love to you. But, Lord, we trust you to receive our feeble expressions of love. We thank you for your sacrifice to us. We thank you for each other, regardless of how much we value one another. We, we, uh, we do trust that you will fulfill and, and will heal our brokenness and bring us to, to unity, to that oneness that you prayed about uh, prior to your crucifixion. Again, Lord, we thank you for resurrection, for your resurrection. We thank you for this Easter, and we bless you. Amen. Now, if we return our attention to our confession of faith, uh, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 28. Uh, I will read the question, and then together uh, we will read the answer as it appears in your bulletin. Question number 28. What does Christ's exhortation consist of? Christ's exhortation consists of his rising again from the dead on the third day, ascending to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and coming to judge the world on the last day. Amen.
Good morning again, guests and family. Our scripture reading this morning is in Luke 24. I'll jump back to 23 briefly just to show where, where this fits in. Um, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Okay. This is chapter 24. This is God's word. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Amen. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Amen, amen. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Amen. Thank you. 
Brasil. His wounds have paid our ransom. Amen. You sing it, but do you believe it? <laughs> if you're just now uh, joining us, I do want to go over some, some of the announcements that uh, was read at the beginning of the service. We do have an offering plate located in the back of the church. Or you can also scan the QR code that is inside of our uh, worship guide. And also this Tuesday night, uh, the women's ministry will be having their inductive Bible study at the church house at 6 uh, p.m. And if you have your Bible, please open it to Luke chapter 23. Uh, We're going to be beginning with verse 47 and working our way through the end of of uh, chapter 24. Episode 6 of uh, This is Easter, it ends with, Jesus' brutal death on a cross. It ends with many of his followers followers and disciples in distress and, and grief. It ends with darkness over the whole land. It ends with Jesus' enemies feeling victorious because they just watched him die. It ends with the curtain of the temple torn in two. It ends with natural phenomena occurring. It ends with with Jesus' final words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And in all honesty, y'all, episode six ends, it leaves you feeling like Jesus' ministry dies with him on that cross. Three years of ministry flushed down the drain. Three-year investment in 12 men is for nothing. Jesus is dead. His lifeless body hangs on on a cross. It's the end of Jesus, right? All hope is lost, right? See, the answers for us today is no and no. See, for us, episode six ends on what we call Good Friday. Henry Nouwen wrote, who is one of my favorite authors, as most of y'all know, because I quote him a lot. He says, Good Friday is the day of the cross, the day of suffering. Day of hope, day of abandonment, day of victory, the day of mourning, the day of joy, the day of endings, the day of beginnings. Psalm 35, Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Episode 7 of This is Easter is about the joy that comes in the morning. It's the day of new beginnings, it's Jesus' exhortation. And at last, Easter arrives. It is here. Now, please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the preaching of the truth, the truth, the truth of our Trinitarian God, you ask that you, our advocate, our helper, that you would give us understanding that you were ministered to our minds, that you were ministered to our emotions, you were ministered to our relationships, you were ministered to our whole body. And I do pray that Christ will be glorified in everything that is said. 
It's in his name that I pray. Amen. How long does Christ hang on the cross before he takes his last breath? How long? What are your thoughts? He hangs on the cross for six hours. That's from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. our time. That's a long time, saints. Can you imagine dying a slow death that lasts six hours? That's a work shift. That's a day at school. That's driving down to the Alabama coast. Jesus endures the torment of the cross for six long hours, and then he gives up his spirit. Then he breathes his last breath. And what happens after he takes his last breath? What happens after he says it is finished? What, what happens after he gives up his spirit? Luke shows us in his a gospel account. Luke provides responses from people who are at Calvary witnessing Jesus' execution. These people are there watching Jesus die, and they are impacted by what they see. They, they, they give verbal responses. They are nonverbal responses. They are even emotional responses. The first response is from a non-Jewish person, a Gentile, a Roman soldier who oversees Jesus' crucifixion. The soldier, he witnesses Jesus' words and prayers from the cross for his enemies and his friends. He witnesses Jesus' behavior and how he handles his suffering. He witnesses Jesus' compassion for one of the thieves on the cross beside him. And the soldier also witnesses the natural phenomena that is occurring. And so what is this soldier response? We see it in Luke 23, verse 47. It says, now, Satyrian, seeing what's taking place, he then praises God, saying, surely this is a righteous man. In Matthew 27, verse 40, 54, the same soldier says, truly, this is the son of God. He realizes he has helped put to death a man who, de- who didn't deserve to die. He confesses Jesus to be the Son of God. What is your response to Jesus' death on the cross? What's your response? True confession or disbelief? Is it nonfiction or fiction? Is it historical or is it make-believe? Which is it? Can't be both and. Some things are black and white. What is your response? The second response that Luke documents is from a crowd of people. They come to Calvary as spectators. They come out like people in our country used to come out to watch a lynching. It's entertainment for them. It's like going to the movies. It's like going to watch a play. The crowd gathers at Calvary to enjoy a crucifixion. But what they witness doesn't produce in them the feelings of excitement. Instead, they're overcome with grief. Look at verse 48. All the crowds who are assembled for the spectacle, after seeing what takes place, return home beating their chests. The crowd isn't entertained. They're filled with sorrow and grief and maybe even conviction. One commentator puts it this way. He says, they came to witness a show, but they they left with feelings of woe. Again, what's your response to Jesus' death? What is it? Is it just a nice story that Christians tell every Easter? 
Is that what it is? The third response is from some faithful followers of Jesus, both men and women. Look at verse 49. It says, some of Jesus' acquaintances and, and the women who followed him from Galilee are standing at a distance watching these things. The names of these sisters are given in Matthew and Mark. And who are they? It's Mary Magdalene and it's Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and Salome, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. These women, along with others, are there standing at a distance. And why does Luke say they're standing at a distance watching these things? He, he wants to show the powerlessness of Jesus' followers to stop what's happening. They're, they're all, all they can do is watch in disbelief. Can you imagine watching someone you love and have followed for three years die a horrible death and you can't do anything to stop it? They're filled with grief. Sorrow, tears are flowing, lamenting is taking place. Put yourself in their shoes. We romanticize Easter. This is horrible. They don't have the full story like we do. This isn't Good Friday for them. Okay? It ain't Good Friday. They just witnessed a man that they have followed for three years die a horrible death. And for them, it doesn't feel like joy is coming in the morning. For them, it feels like the end. For them, it feels like everything Jesus has done just died with him on that cross. For them, Jesus is gone and won't be coming back. It is over. It is over. Again, what's your response to Jesus' death? Eventually, everyone leaves Calvary. The crowd leaves, the soldiers leave, and, and Jesus' followers leave. And, and what remains at Calvary are three lifeless bodies hanging on crosses. Jesus' lifeless body and the lifeless bodies are two criminals. So, so now what? He's dead, now what? What's going to happen to Christ's body? Who's going to get his, his body off the tree? Jesus' lifeless body is cared for by two men who are part of the religious system that condemned him to death. Take, take a mental note of that. Let that reach your heart. These two men are followers of Christ. One is a member of the Sanhedrin. His name is Joseph. The other is a Pharisee. His name is, his name is Nicodemus. Every Pharisee isn't against Jesus. And every member of the Sanhedrin isn't against him either. So what does this reveal to you about Jesus Christ? He's able to reach all kinds of people. Regardless of their social status, economic status, economic, and educational status. Jesus has disciples in all walks of life. But do you believe it? And do you want to be one? Look at verses uh, 50 through 53. Now a man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, a good and righteous man who did not consent to the decision and action. And he was also looking for the kingdom of God. This man goes to Pilate, the governor, and asks for the body of Christ. Then he takes it down. He wraps it in a linen shroud, and, and he lays the body in a tomb cut out in stone where no one has ever laid, ever been laid. And in John 19, he tells us that Nicodemus also helps, Jesus, helps Joseph bury Jesus' body on the day of preparation before the Sabbath. Nicodemus is the one who brings the ointment made of aloe and myrrh. He brings 75 pounds of it. Why is that needed? 
The ointment is going to be used to, to pour over Jesus' body to help with the smell of decay. Because, again, what's the point? Like the followers at the cross, these two are dealing with the same grief at Jesus' funeral. For them, it also feels like the end. Feels like the end. For them, it doesn't feel like joy is coming in the morning. For them, it doesn't feel like Good Friday. For them, everything Jesus has done is going to decay with his lifeless body in that tomb. For them, once that stone is rolled in front of the tomb, it's game over. Jesus is dead. Jesus is buried. Jesus is gone. And he won't be coming back. What's your response to the burial of Christ? What's your response? Nicodemus and Joseph, they aren't the only ones at Jesus' funeral. The sisters are there. Notice the 12 hadn't showed up yet, the 11. The same sisters who were at Calvary watching Jesus die, they are also there at the burial. It's a Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, the Salome, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. They are there watching it. Look at verses 54 through, um, 54 through 56. It's the day of preparation and the Sabbath is beginning. The women who had came with Jesus from Galilee followed Nicodemus and Joseph. They see the tomb and how his body is laid. And then they return basically home to prepare spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath day, they will rest. These sisters are preparing these spices because, again, they're going to help with the decaying body. And this is faithfulness on the part of the sisters, even in the midst of their grief. But they still do believe Jesus is gone and is not coming back. They are making preparation to help with his decaying body. Do you believe Jesus is gone and won't be coming back? Will his lifeless body decay in that dark, cold, lonely tomb? TBC kids and youth, me, and have your attention. What do y'all believe? Is the resurrection true? Or is it some made-up religious story your parents believe? And you're just pretending to believe it because you don't want to disappoint the adults in your life. What do you believe, kids and youth? It's true. Everything that I'm telling you is truth. Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, it's all truth. It's historical. It is the facts. No lies detected. Now, some outside these walls would tell you otherwise, but as your pastor, I'm telling you, it is true. There's a gospel song that says, by his stripes, we are healed. By his nail-pierced hands, we're free. By his blood, we're washed clean. Now we have the victory. The power of sin is broken. Jesus overcame it all. He has won our freedom. Jesus has won it all. Hallelujah, you have won the victory. Hallelujah, you have won it all for me. Death could not hold you down. You are the risen king, seated in majesty. You are the risen king. But do you believe it and will you surrender to it? Jesus has defeated sin and death. And what does the apostle Paul say in in 1 Corinthians 15? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, saints. 
Jesus bears the full weight of God's wrath in your place for all your sins. His father turns his face away from his own son for your sins. He hangs on that cross for six hours to pay the price for all your sins, past, present, future. Who else is going to do that? Who else is going to do that? And right now, at this moment, if you want peace and if you want hope and you want forgiveness and you want newness of life and, and you want acceptance, then you've got to come to the risen Savior and save in faith. Like, this stuff is true. And it's true regardless of if you ever come to believe it. It's still true. And this is Easter. This is Jesus' exaltation. At some point, we, the knee will bow. We're either going to bow now or it's going to bow later. But it's going to bow. You will bow before him. But he's saying, come bow now. Come bow now. So will you stop pretending and finally come to Jesus in true faith? Will you stop running and finally surrender your life to him? There is no other name given under heaven by which sinful people can be saved. That is Jesus Christ alone. And Christians, we know this. Why do we know this? Because we get the privilege of reading the history of Jesus. We get the privilege of, of reading about his life and death and resurrection. But guess who doesn't get this privilege? The followers. These followers that we're talking about here in Luke 24, Luke 23. The ones who actually had to live through the dramatic events of the past few days. They don't know how the story ends. Don't dehumanize those who actually live through the events. They're human. They're real people with real feelings, with real fears, and real emotions, with real pain. Don't gloss over it. We can't confess weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. But for them, the weeping feels like it's going to last forever. And joy does not seem to be coming anytime soon. For them, Jesus is dead. Jesus is buried. Jesus is gone. Jesus won't be coming back. That's where they are. Luke 24 opens with Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, and Salome, and Joanna, and other women heading back to the tomb with the spices that they prepared beforehand, before the Sabbath. Again, they plan to pour those spices over Jesus' dead body to help with the smell of decay. And so they, they, they're walking back to the tomb. They don't even know how the tomb is going to be open for them. And also, they don't even know Jesus has been resurrected. And so Mark, 6, Mark 16, 3 says, they ask each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? The answer is no one will. They arrive at the tomb to find that the stone has already been rolled away. And it surprises the sisters. They don't even know what to make of the situation. So they walk inside the tomb and then their eyes open wide. Have it been that kind of surprise? You see something, your eyeballs start to pop out of your head? They're perplexed for the body of Jesus, the body of the Lord is gone. Gone. Can you imagine what's going through their minds, their emotions? What has happened? Who has taken our Lord's body? The text says, and behold, out of nowhere, two men appear in dazzling apparel, and the ladies are frightened, and they even bow their heads to the faces to the ground. And these two men are angels. 
angels who are there to minister to these sisters. Listen to what they tell the ladies in, in Luke 24 and verses 5 and through 7. They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. Look at verse 7. What does it say? It says, and they remembered Jesus' words. The Greek word translated remember is in a passive voice. And if you are a Greek scholar, do you know that in the passive voice, the subject is a recipient of an action. So what's the action in verse 8? The action is remembering what Jesus told them about his death and resurrection. So who enables these sisters to believe that? The resurrected and exalted Jesus does. He ministers to their grief, sorrow, and lament about his death. And this remembrance of his word, check this out, this remembrance of his word restores their hope and strengthens their faith. The word of God does that. Please don't gloss over that. Matthew 28 tells us the sisters, they sprint from the tomb. I mean, they are running from the tomb and they're experiencing two emotions, fear and great joy. Because you can't experience the, the multiple emotions at the same time as a person. And so they take off running to go tell, to go tell the 11 what they have just experienced. But, but as they're running, guess who they meet? Jesus. He appears before them. He says to them, greetings. You know, Jesus is a great comedian. I mean, I'm like, bro, you just defeated death. You just rose from the grave, and the first thing you're going to say to me is greetings? Like, yep, that sounds about right. The resurrected and exalted Christ, he greets his female followers, and then, and then they walk up to him, they take hold of his feet, and they all worship. And then he says to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brother to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. There they will see me. I have a question for y'all. In our culture, when a person does something extraordinary, what usually happens next? Yes, they become famous. A celebrity, like their faces all over the news, all over social media. They, 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 they get flooded with interview requests to talk about their extraordinary accomplishment. They might even get to meet with, with people in positions of power, might even get a book deal. They might even get interviewed by Oprah. And that's big time. Jesus has just done something extraordinary, but guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't use his resurrection and exaltation to build a platform for himself. That's an amen statement. He's not going to go around walking in pride and boasting. He's not going to make a public spectacle of his resurrection. The exalted and resurrected Jesus is still as humble as ever. He uses his resurrection and exaltation to minister to the people who are lamenting and grieving his death. Like he does for these sisters who are worshiping before him. He uses his exhortation and resurrection to strengthen the faith of those whose faith has been tested. He doesn't use them to warn up his enemies and to warn up those who condemn them to death. He, he, he doesn't even appear before his enemies or before those who condemn him to death. 
He doesn't appear before um, Pilate and, and Herod. He doesn't appear before the Sanhedrin or the scribes or the Pharisees. Jesus doesn't resurrect from the grave, turn into DJ Khaled, goes back to the Sanhedrin and say to all his haters, all I do is win. <laughs> he could do it, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that. You see, Jesus chooses to appear first to the most marginalized group of people during his time period. Think about that. Those who have no position of power or authority. He appears before his female followers. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, Salome the mother of, uh, of the sons of Zebedee, Joanna and elders. He's done this on purpose. It's not an accident. So what's the significance of women being the first witnesses to the empty tomb? Being the first witnesses of the resurrection? Being the first ones to see the resurrected and exalted Christ? See, I want every little girl, teen girl, woman here to hear my next words. I want you to write these next words down. I particularly want all the black women and black little girls to hear this. Are you ready? Those voices... Who are often ignored and silenced are the very voices Jesus chose to first proclaim He is risen. He uses marginalized voices to proclaim His truth. He shares His exaltation with His female followers. He elevates their voice for His glory. And here's a principle for each of us: Don't be too quick to discredit God's truth coming from marginalized places. Please know that all truth. All God's truth don't come from high places. It comes from marginalized places too. Because God's truth is truth regardless of the voice speaking it to you. But do you believe that? Do you remember Jesus' words to his female followers? He says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. The sisters obey his instructions. They leave and they head looking for the eleven. For they can share with them everything that they have witnessed. And when they arrive at the disciples' location, guess what kind of moment that creates? Where they go in and, and they get excited and the 11 are sitting around looking sad. But, but the sisters, they got some good news. Guess what kind of moment it creates? A hashtag believe women moment. <laughs> believe their testimony about meeting the angels in the tomb. Believe their testimony about seeing the resurrected and exalted Jesus. Believe their confession, he is risen. Believe the words that they're going to give you from Jesus for y'all. Will the disciples believe them? No. They're skeptical of the women's testimony. Look at verses 10 and 11 in Luke chapter 24. Now it's Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with him who tell these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter, he rises up. He runs to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He sees the linen cloths by themselves, and he goes home, marveling at everything that has taken place. Do you see what Christ is doing? He doesn't need to appear and make himself, his resurrection appearance, isn't for those who put him to death. It's for his own people, his own disciples. For you. After appearing before the female followers, 
Jesus then appears before two less prominent disciples. The two aren't part of his inner circle. Again, he hasn't appeared before the 11 yet. These, are, these two disciples are part of his outer, his wider circle of disciples. One name is Cleophas and the other one is unnamed. And he appears to these two brothers on the road to Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. The text tells us that Jesus draws near to them while the two are in a deep conversation about all the events that has taken place in Jerusalem over the last few days. Jesus appears and he walks with the two disciples. But verse 16 says their eyes are kept from recognizing Jesus. And Mark 16, 12 says Jesus appears to them in another form. Who is keeping them from recognizing Jesus? It's Jesus. He doesn't immediately reveal himself to them as the risen Lord, nor does he change the subject of the conversation. He actually joins the discussion about what has happened in Jerusalem. Look at verses 17 through 24. Jesus says to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk and standing and looking sad? One of them, one of the men named Cleophas said, answers Jesus, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? This is like comedy, man. Jesus says, what things? <laughs> like, like, really? Like, you just lived it. What things, huh? Both men answered him concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet, mighty in deeds and, and word before God and the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yes, beside all this, it is not a third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they have seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and we found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. What do y'all think about how Jesus is relating to these two brothers? And what does it reveal to you about the resurrected and exalted Christ? You see, Jesus knows many of his disciples. Those in the inner circle and outer circle are all in a deep state of grief. And the resurrected and exalted Jesus isn't going to rush them past their grief. He doesn't rush them to, he doesn't rush these two brothers to the resurrection yet. Notice that. He doesn't even cut in on a, and, and, and interrupt their sharing. He listens as they express their sorrow and sadness and grief. They're lamenting to Jesus and don't even know it. He ministers to these brothers' emotional distress first. He ministers to their sadness and hopelessness. He joins them in it. Think about that. Take it to heart. Jesus' presence is with you even during the times you don't even recognize it. But do you believe that? He is with you in your distress and your grief and sadness when you can't recognize him. He's with you, but do you believe it? And sometimes he's with you through other people, like uh, Brother Jamie said in his resurrection story. And sometimes he's with you through marginalized voices. But do you receive it? 
It's only after they finish lamenting does Jesus give them a gentle reproof for, for, their, for their disbelief. And then he gives them the truth concerning his suffering. And then he interprets to them all the scriptures concerning him. So the resurrected Jesus, now he's, he's ministered to his people by helping them understand the scriptures. He helps them understand God's word. Look at verses 25 through 27. O foolish ones, O slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interprets to them, he interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's ministering to his people. Post-resurrection ministry. You got to understand, you can't understand the scriptures about the spirit. You still need that same help. You still need that same help. Just because I went to seminary and got a whole bunch of books on my shelf doesn't mean I understand the Bible. If the Spirit ain't moving in me, I can't write these sermons every week. I can't. The Spirit is doing it. It's the Spirit's work. As these two disciples get close to the village, they ask Jesus to stay with them. Because it's towards the evening and it's late outside. And, and, they, and keep in mind, they still don't know that this is Jesus. They still can't recognize that it's him. Christ decides to stay with them. He enters their home. He, he breaks bread with them. And it's at the dinner table that he finally opens their eyes so they can recognize him. Y'all got to understand what, it, what is happening there. Even when it comes to salvation. You, a person cannot understand the truth of the gospel if their eyes and hearts are not open to it. Now, you still need to share it with them because that's our responsibility, but the Spirit has to open their eyes to the truth. He does. Look at verses 30 to 32. After sitting at the table with them, Jesus takes bread and blesses it and breaks it and gives it to them. And then their eyes open and they recognize Jesus, and Jesus vanishes from them. They say to each other, But did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? They knew something was up, but they couldn't put it together yet. So immediately these brothers, they run back to Jerusalem, seven more miles, to find the 11 and everybody else who were gathered together. And, and, And both of them say with great joy, the Lord is risen indeed. He has even appeared to Peter. And they tell them everything that happened on the road and how Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Do y'all see what the resurrected and exalted Jesus is doing here in Luke? He uses uses his resurrection and, and exaltation to minister to the needs of his people, his disciples. He ministers to their grief and their unbelief. He elevates marginalized voices for his glory. He uses those voices to proclaim his truth. His presence is with his disciples even when they cannot recognize his presence. He helps his disciples remember and to understand the scriptures. That's what he's doing. He's sharing his exhortation with them. He's making sure Psalm 30 verse 5 becomes a real reality for them. Weeping may endure for the night. But joy comes in the morning. 
joy comes in the morning. And the resurrected and exalted Jesus is doing the same thing in y'all's life each day. But do y'all believe it? Do you believe it? That he's with you, walking with you, ministering to you. Many Christians are practical atheists. Oh, we gather on Sunday, yay, Jesus. But throughout that week, we live as if he, doesn't, he is not real. We live as if he's not risen. So, so some of us need to leave here today and go in our prayer closet and ask for forgiveness and ask the Holy Spirit, show me his presence in my life. Show me his presence. Let me see that he's working in my circumstances and in my relationships. In verses 36 to 49, the resurrected and exalted Jesus appears to an entire group. This time it's the 11 disciples, the two brothers from the road to Emmaus, and many other disciples. They're all gathered in a home in Jerusalem with the doors locked because they are afraid of the religious leaders and those who were against Jesus. So they're meeting late Easter Sunday evening, and they're all talking about Everything that has happened this day. And as they're talking, Jesus himself appears and stands among them. And he says, peace to you. Again, you see, this is a comedian. And that pronoun there is plural. So in the southern, he would say, peace to y'all. And these should be comforting words for a group of people who have not experienced any peace for three days. But it's not. Jesus' presence and voice, it startles and frightens them because they're wondering, the doors is locked. So how in the world could someone just, just show up in our house? This is supernatural. This is supernatural. So they conclude in their mind that this must be a spirit. It must be a ghost. Look at Jesus' response to their emotions and actions in verses 38 and 39. He says to them, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Why does doubt arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. He said, come touch me. Touch my body. See, it is me, your risen Lord. After saying this, he shows them his hands and feet to try to prove to them that I'm not a spirit. But the disciples, they they don't know what to think. They don't know what to believe at this moment. Three days ago, they were in other despair. And now, Sunday evening, some man disappeared in the room claiming to be the resurrected Jesus. Again, if this you, how are you feeling? What's going through your mind? The text says they were in a state of disbelief for joy and astonishment. Now, what in the world does that mean? One pastor puts it this way. They have joy, however, they don't necessarily believe without reservation. They don't totally believe, but what, but what they do believe brings them joy. Disbelief for joy means to believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. It's believing while still struggling with doubt. Because, guess, if you were in that situation, you would have doubts. So some of you disbelieve for joy today. Some of you have doubts about Christianity. 
Some of you have resurrection, reservations about the resurrection. How could someone resurrect from the dead? Some of you have questions about Jesus of Nazareth, his life and his death. And guess what? It's okay. Jesus understands. And he won't shame you for your doubts. He won't guilt you for struggling to believe. He'll meet you in your doubts and reservations about his life, death, and resurrection. He'll meet you in them, and he will gently shepherd you to a greater place of belief and trust. Okay? Do you know how he ministers to to the disciples in Luke 24? How does he minister to them in their their doubt and, 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 and unbelief? He doesn't do anything supernatural. He doesn't work a miracle. He doesn't do anything extra. He just does something simple, tangible, and practical. He says, y'all have anything to eat? (laughs) (laughs) Comedian. I'm sure I'm hungry. (laughs) why Why does he ask for food? It shows that he's not a spirit. Because a spirit has no need for food. But someone with a real human body needs food. So they give Jesus a piece of boiled fish, and he takes it, he eats it before them. And so the resurrected and exalted Christ is standing before them in flesh and blood. It is I, the risen Lord. And it's when they're done with the meal, he leads them to, he, he helps them also understand the scripture. He also opens their minds to understanding God's word. And he reminds them of the promise he told them about in, in John about the promised Holy Spirit to come. These post-resurrection um, ministering of Jesus is, is, is restoring the hope of his disciples. It's ministering to their despair, and it's helping them understand God's truth. That's what he's doing. Look at verses 44. I lost my place. Through 49, he says to them, these are my words that I have spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. He says to them, thus it is written that the Christ shall suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's another promise. Another promise. Do you think everything that happens, that's going to happen in the books of Acts, will happen if the Holy Spirit doesn't come? No. It does not. And why do we think we are the ones advancing God's kingdom here? The Spirit has to do that. The Spirit has to do that. After saying these words, he leads them out to Bethany, and he lifts up his hands, and he gives them a blessing. And while he's blessing them, he ascends into glory. It says that he's carried away into heaven. And the disciples, they worship him, and it said they returned to Jerusalem, and they blessed God while in the temple. And, and Luke ends with Psalm 30, verse 5, being true for these disciples. They weep and endure for a night, but they joy did come in the morning. They are now 
in the place where we are. They have the story. Jesus is alive. The grave did not hold him down. And if you look at this table here, it is a reminder that weeping may endure for the night, but joy does come in the morning. It's a reminder that the cross, the tomb, and death could not hold Jesus down. It is a reminder of his sacrifice for all your sins, past, present, and the future. And if you are a believer, a son and daughter of God, he invites you to partake of this meal today for your spiritual nourishment. Friends and neighbors, if you're not a Christian, I'm glad that you're here worshiping with us on this Easter Sunday. But I ask that you observe uh, what we do here as believers. And if you have questions about what does it really mean to come to faith in Jesus Christ, you can talk with me after the service or one of our elders, and we will sit down with you and share with you more about the good news of the gospel. Adults, we ask that the kids, you abstain from these elements until they have been invited to the table by the church that you are a member of. Now, TVC kids, this is part of my favorite part of communion because I get to talk to the kids. I want you to know that I'm not just a pastor of your parents and grandparents. I'm your pastor, too. And so what does that mean, Pastor Al? That means if you want to talk to me, your parents got my number. You can call, ask Pastor Alex any question. I might not have the right answer, but we can talk about it. But I want you to know that this meal is a reminder to you that Christ loves you. It's a reminder that he died for all your sins. It's a reminder that when you come to saving faith in him, you are made right with God. You are at peace with God. And you don't have to perform for his love. You don't have to perform for his affection. Because in Christ, you're already loved. And so as your pastor, it is my prayer that each and every one of you come to saving faith in Jesus and that you be able to partake of this meal with your dad. Now, when you grow up, you may be able to complain about the village church, but one thing you can't say is, I never heard the gospel there. So that would be a lie. So don't go out lying on me when you grow up. <laughs> I'd like to I'll call the elders who are going to assist to come forward. And if you would like to uh, have uh, the prepackage, please raise your hand. If not, then we will use the elements that, that we've been using. So let's go to the Lord now. Father God, I pray that you would bless uh, these elements that we're about to receive, uh, that, that these common elements that you will use to bring spiritual nourishment to your people. And I pray for all this in Christ's name. So if anyone wants a prepackage, raise your hand. Raise your hand and Elder Larry will bring one to you. Preserve me, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. Say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. 
I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I'm saved from all my enemies. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is Christ's body broken for you. Eat from it, all of you. In the same manner, he also took the cup. And having given thanks, he gave it to his disciples. And he said to them, This is the cup is new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The Lord is our refuge and strength, a very pleasant help in trouble. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions.
This is Christ's blood shed for all your sins, past, present, and future. Drink from it, all of you. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you for your son who endured the cross for our sins. And also thank you that as a body we can say he is risen. And I pray that you will strengthen us and watch over us. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Will you please stand, saints, as we close our service.
glorious day, he'll be coming back. Beautiful saints of God, now receive the Lord's benediction. And may my God supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God and our Father be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Please greet one another, saints.